0: there's four levers to pull on the financial, you know, the financial, journey to financial dependence, right? You can spend less, you can earn more active income, you can invest and generate a return, or you can create assets, right? Mm -hmm. But you you must do some combination or at least one of those four things in order to advance your financial position. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show.
1: Hello, guys, and family. Welcome to another We Love Equity Real Estate podcast show. On today, we have the illustrious Scott Trench. If you don't know who Scott Trench is, I don't know where you've been at, especially if you're a real estate investor or you're in the personal finance business. Uh, Scott Trench hails from Denver, he is the CEO and president of Bigger Pockets. He's the author of Set for Life, which is a, a wonderful book that you need to read if you're looking into personal finance. He's the co host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. He's a real estate investor, a house hacker, and he's definitely a personal finance um, influence. So, Scott, welcome you to the show, man. I know you have some awesome information that you have for our family and our listeners today.
0: Well, thank you, Marcus. It's great to be here.
1: Well, thank you so much, man. I know you're doing a lot, I, and I know you're prepping for the Bigger Pockets conference on next week. Again, I will definitely be there. I will be in the building uh, just to meet some of the faces and to see some of the co. Uh, bloggers that I blog with, and just to really just talk all things real estate and personal finance. So definitely get a chance to uh, see you on next week. So let's kind of just roll on, man, and, and get started. So Scott, you're big in personal finance, you're a real estate investor. Tell me, what was your inspiration to get you started in real estate?
0: Sure. So I, I started my career at a uh, Fortune 500 company as a financial analyst, and uh, I kind of, within a couple of months of starting that job, looked around and saw that if, you know, if I pursued my career, I'd go from my job as associate financial analyst, and a year later, I'd be a financial analyst one, and then after a year or two after that, I'd be financial analyst two, and then senior financial analyst, finance manager, senior finance manager, director of finance, senior director of finance, VP of finance, senior VP of finance, CFO, <laughs> and that was if things went really well. Um, and I got all those promotions and I thought, you know, looking around that, that was not the career path that I wanted for myself. So I became interested in the concept of financial independence, um, the fire movement, financial independence, retire early. And, you know, uh, uh the biggest influencer probably in those early days was a guy named Mr. Money Mustache. Um, who I'm sure many people have heard of, um, Absolutely. and his, yeah. And his approach to extreme frugality really kind of appealed to me because I didn't see a clear path to earning more income and I had no assets with which to invest to generate returns. Um, so I began being very frugal. And then as it became very frugal, I realized, you know, if I earn, if I index fund invest, which is what a lot of uh, financial independence, personal finance bloggers promote as a, as a path to financial independence is be very frugal, save a solid income and index fund your way to, financial freedom, I thought, Hey, you know, I'll be retired in 15 or 20 years. That's pretty good to retire at Absolutely. In, in your forties. But you know, being 23, I was like, that seems too slow still. <laughs> so that's when I kind of began getting interested in real estate investing and stumbled across a, uh, a fledgling website and podcast called bigger pockets. So I began listening to that podcast and following the blog and reading, you know, and joining the community and meeting members and those sorts of things. And then I eventually uh, met the founder, which is how I got a career here. But that, that's how I became interested in real estate.
1: OK, sure. so so kind of going back, um, being a a finance major and everything like that. So that time frame of retiring, you know, in 15 years wasn't suitable for you. And you started, you know, listening to Mr. Money Mustache, you know, on his podcast, which is an awesome podcast, guys. Um, why did you turn over into real estate versus doing something totally different? Like, um, you know, multi-level media marketing and, and things
0: like that. Um, you know, I think the appeal of, so so first of all, you know, there, there's four levers to pull on the financial you know, the financial journey to financial dependence, right? You can spend less, you can earn more active income, you can invest and generate a return, or you can create assets, right? Mm-hmm. But you, must, you must do some combination or at least one of those four things in order to advance your financial position. And, um, you know, while I was doing this, I focused on spending very little because I couldn't earn more, much more active income at my job. Mm-hmm. And then I also focused on creating assets. I didn't focus on investing cause I had nothing to invest. I was starting with basically scratch, which is a phenomenal advantage, not starting deep in the hole in student loan debt. Um, but that, that, that was the reason I focused on those two things. So I, I spent very little and I tried to create a new source of income. I started trying to tutor. I started trying to, uh, I started to sell punny t-shirts. Uh, that, okay. that was a great way to lose 800 bucks. I, I started a like winter gloves for driving business. I considered selling a, doing a winter tire rental business, uh, here in Denver. And none of these ideas really ever panned out or began working. Um, but I was trying these at every point, the real estate, the reason I became interested in real estate was mostly because it was allow me to reduce my expenses even further. My initial traction wasn't necessarily the long term real estate investor (laughs) profile. It was, if I house hacked. If I buy a duplex and rent out the other unit, I will be able to cover my mortgage and largely live for free. And that will allow me to accumulate a lot more cash very quickly with which to invest and create assets or businesses.
1: Okay. So, so just to recap, the four pillars, you know, to financial and to wealth is to earn more, spend little, create assets, and invest. Um, so you said that you couldn't really expedite or speed up your earning potential and you didn't have anything to invest. So it was basically creating those assets and spending, spending little or being frugal. So creating those assets, this was going into your entrepreneurial blood pretty much trying to do these different businesses. So what did you do to kind of spend little? I know that you were being very frugal, but kind of help the listeners out to know some of the things that you did, you know, as a 23 year old, you know, to spend little, to make sure that you can save and have that money to invest.
0: Sure. So, so, you know, the first thing is housing. That's the biggest expense for most people. And with that, I lived in a not very nice apartment with a roommate. And that was, you know, you know, that's, it's a very simplistic solution, but you know, at the time I was making $48,000 a year out of college. And most of my peers earning the same amount of money were living in much fancier places. So that, that was item number one and by far the most important. Number two was my vehicle. Um, I drove a Toyota Corolla. Um, it was a new (laughs) Toyota Corolla, but you know, I didn't buy a Lexus, you know, (laughs) and and never locked myself into a a, a crazy, uh, um, financial payment. I still think that buying the new Toyota Corolla was actually a financial mistake and that I could have done better by buying a seven or eight year old model where the depreciation had already taken its toll. Um, but I, at least it didn't screw up too badly on the Mm -hmm. car on the car front with the, with the Corolla. Right. Um, and then third, I brought my lunches to work most days. And then, you know, I was 22, 23. So very important part of my, uh, recreational time was, uh, drinking lots of beers. And so I would Uh buy light beer and yeah, that kind of stuff and bring it to my friend's place and then not spend all that money at the bar or spend as little as I could. Gotcha.
1: So, So, um, and then having that that mindset, I mean, that's that's the main thing that's key. Because like you said, some of your um, peers, they would have the $50,000 annually income and they would go out and they would buy the nicer car. They would live in the, mm-hmm. the nicer, you know, condo or something like that. So how did did you catch any flack, you know, from your peers saying, hey, Scott, what are you doing, man? Why are you living over here when you can live over here? Why are you buying a Corolla when you can buy? you know, that Lexus or maybe even a Nissan Maxima, something, you know, a little bit better. Um, how was that, that dialogue or that communication with your peers?
0: Yeah, you know, it, it was fine. I, I was pretty open about what I was doing and why, um, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I'm not very exactly secretive about it um, <laughs> uh-huh. in public- General, so I'm not secret about it with my friends either. Uh, it was just, hey, here's what I'm doing and why, and and they, some of them, some a couple friends are are kind of on a similar path, and a couple aren't, and it's uh, it is what it is, and it's not a, you know, a, a thing there. It, 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 for a period, it frustrated me that some of my friends weren't weren't doing the things that I thought might be helpful to them to advance their financial position, and you know, making not even really big sacrifices, just like some changes that would result in the same quality of life and, ha- life and happiness, but thousands more a month in wealth accumulation. Yep. Um, but, you know, that's no, I don't like bring that up anymore. And, and and there's two things with that, because a lot of people I think get frustrated once they discover fire or investing and they're like, why aren't you also doing this, everybody? Um, mm-hmm. And there's two components to that. One, I think it's unre- it's unrelatable to live below your means to a lot of people, they don't understand Hey, I can live. I can live in downtown Denver in the high rise. Why would I live in that place there? You know, exactly. that's near to work when I can live near the, near all the cool stuff. Um, so they don't understand that when that's happening. And then second, you know, after a couple of years go by, and I've saved two, three, four thousand dollars a month for a couple of years, and I plop down fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars on a real estate investment. That's an unfathomable amount of liquidity to these same people a few, you know, shortly down the road. So at both points, you're just unrelatable to your peers. And so it's just, you know, a a choice people are interested. You can talk about it. If not. And and that is true.
1: And that's, that's definitely um, something different and something hard with those that are looking for that financial independence and that are investors and entrepreneurs, our minds are wired completely different than the regular, you know, nine to fivers, you know, play it safe, be secure and retire. Um, so I know you brought up the word FIRE. For for the listeners that don't understand or don't know what the word FIRE means, kind of explain that to us.
0: Uh, it's an acronym. I, I can't remember who who put that out there. But coined it's it. yep. financial independence, retire early, FIRE. So uh, it's just a, one of those. You can Some people call it FI, F-I, financial uh-huh. independence. Some people call it R-E retire early some people put them together and call it fire
1: so and, and i know right now I'm a, I'm a little bit older um so i know right now that the retire early is you know really going mainstream now you know so you have different perspectives when it comes to personal finance. I mean, you have different gurus. You have like the Susie Ormans or the Dave Ramseys, you know, Robert Kiyosakis and things of that nature. So it's really starting to take home and, and grab a grip, you know, to those that are just entering the workforce or at level one or level two in the workforce. So tell me, who was your inspiration and who did you follow? I know you said Mr. Money Mustache. For those who don't know who Mr. Money Mustache is, kind of uh, introduce us lightly to Mister Money M- Mustache podcast for those those who don't know.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't think he has a podcast, although he does post to YouTube and uh, occasionally right. has has Instagram. Right. But he he's got a very popular blog at mrmoneymustache.com. dot com. Um, he, he and his kind of whole approach is he was one of the the maybe the, the folks who maybe helped bring um, the the financial independence movement more to the the mainstream. Uh, he, he wasn't necessarily the first, but he was one of the earlier folks on it, and he has a very engaging and uh, wonderful writing style that will kind of suck you in and make you feel like you could do this and that this is for you, and that happiness isn't at the you know uh, uh, fancy restaurant or in the fancy car, but in having control of your life and doing things yourself. and you know, uh, the kind of principles of self-reliance and independence, those types of things. And that really appealed to me and, I, and it still does. And I, I remain a massive fan of, of Mr. Money Mustache to this day. And, um, you know, so, so that was certainly one of the things that really sucked me in and got me completely gung ho about the financial independence, uh, movement and, and got me in. And the other set of, um, influencers were Josh Dorkin, the founder of bigger pockets and Brandon Turner, the host of the bigger pockets podcast. Um, okay. I was fans of them, and I still remember the first time I met them, uh, uh, in, a, in a job interview setting. <laughs> How intimidated I was! But yeah, the, the, you know, they kind of made real estate investing seem accessible to me, and showed me the power that you can uh, of that of real estate investing as a tool to move you towards your financial goals.
1: So tell me about tell me about because now you're. You know the CEO and president of Bigger Pockets. How did that transpire? How did you go from being a follower and a listener to now um, really taking the reins?
0: Sure. So after that first year at um, at, at uh, Fortune 500 company as a financial analyst, I saved up about twenty thousand dollars ish, maybe twenty twenty, maybe seventeen thousand dollars in the exact twelve months, but twenty ish thousand by the end by the end of 2014. And around that time, two major events happened. One, I joined Bigger Pockets, um, and two, I bought my first rental property investment um, within about two months of each other. Okay. Uh, uh, and you know, the reason I joined Bigger Pockets was I, I was looking for. I knew that I didn't want the career track that I listed before, and I was looking for other work. And I was considering becoming a real estate agent. I was considering um, you, you know other other types of sales jobs. Considering moving. Um, to another another city or back home, and, and I also met Josh Dorkin, the founder of Bigger Pockets, and I offered because I was such a fan of the community and saw the power of, of what this was doing and how it was changing people's lives. I offered to work for him for free, um, which you know is is a is a, great, is a funny offer, and I think a lot of. Uh, People, maybe particularly young people, are always like, "Oh, I'll work for free for the opportunity or whatever." Seems like it's kind of a lot, like a lot of liability. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) he politely declined that. But you know, after I pestered him six more times, he invited me in for an interview and offered me a position of director of operations.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: And uh, at the time, that was a slight pay cut and a lot of uncertainty. But I believed so strongly in the mission of the business and um, thought it was such a good opportunity and um, great situation that I. I went for it and was, was thrilled to be a, a joining as the third employee there. Um, and so over the last five years since I joined, um, I think we've we've somewhere around 20 X in revenue um, and built the team from those three team members to about 40 where we have today. And about two years ago, uh, you know, that, that progression, I can bore you with all the details, but basically, uh, Josh was the founder and began um, offloading more and more responsibilities and managing the business and running the business to me over time um, where I was running various teams, you know, several teams, um, kind of in charge of some of the, the brand, various revenue streams, uh, those, t- those sorts of things. And uh, in 2017, he began stepping away from the business. I took over as president in 2018 and then led us through a um, recapitalization where he brought on some investor partners with a private equity group called McCarthy Capital out of Omaha, Nebraska. And um, ever since I've been running the company as both CEO and president.
1: All right, man, well, congratulations, first of all, for your hustle and for taking that risk. You know, not many people will leave a Fortune 500 company to basically go to a startup. I mean, cause that's basically what it was. It was Josh and Brandon, and now you, so going through that transition, man, what were you thinking why why did you really decide to take on that risk and um what were some of the fears were you were you fearful at doing this
0: yeah i I was certainly a, a little fearful, but I think you know I see a huge correlation between financial habits and um you know the ability, the comfort with risk right so so I had. Twenty twenty-five thousand dollar. I was around that twenty thousand mark, moving on to twenty-five thousand by the time I started at Bigger Pockets in my savings account. Okay, right? and I spent like two thousand dollars a month, so I had basically a full year of savings, and you know, it wasn't really like in a, in a position where leaving that job could hurt me. I knew I could probably go back and get a fifty thousand dollar a year job, no problem, uh, in okay. in the near future. And I had all those savings. So it wasn't like this, you know, it, it changed the dynamic for joining a startup to from this is an in, in, this is an irresponsible risk to this is a incredible opportunity. Opportunity. And that's, that's really, it, and I think for me, at least, and it probably differs for everyone. The fact that I was spending little and had a nest egg, which to me felt like a lot. Um, and it was a lot relative to my spending. Uh, enabled me to to make that distinction in my mind. So the fear was much less than the excitement of the, uh, of the opportunity and, and and feeling good about joining a great, great company with a great mission.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Perfect, man. So tell me, I know during this time you were just, just doing your first acquisition. So let's talk about, you know, that first real estate purchase, man, what, what was it? Um, how did you acquire it? And let's go over some of the numbers. So first of all, um, what was it? What did you purchase?
0: Sure. So, so backing up just a couple months before I joined bigger pockets, I had joined the bigger pockets community and put out a post to the forums saying that I was a new aspiring real estate investor looking to purchase my first duplex towards the end of the year. This is early May of 2014. And a couple of people greeted me and responded they were very nice. One of them was a lady named Mickey and Mickey uh, responded to me, welcoming me the community, asked me about what I was looking for. And a few months later, um, in September, she sent me a duplex. The duplex was a home path foreclosure. So it had been foreclosed wow. on, okay. um, and was offered only to owner occupants. So I had a nice advantage in this 2014 and the market was at its peak. It was not going to go up any higher. So this was a really dangerous time to buy real yeah. estate being facetious here, but this is exactly <laughs> how it's felt every single year for the last like what, six, seven, eight years. Yep, yep. Um, and you know but but the the you know and so properties were going were moving pretty quickly and going up in value pretty quickly my advantage on that property was again it was a home path property so investors were not able to submit bids on it until owner occupants had already submitted them house hacking wasn't a huge term at this point in a big uh, in a competitive environment so I was able to go in and have you know 10 15 days to talk with a couple of investors I talked to an investor buddy I'd met um, through a mastermind group locally, and he walked through the property with me and gave me a lot of encouraging. This is a this is a pretty good deal. <laughs> you should probably, okay. probably go to this one. <laughs> uh, you know, which which kind of helped me get over that hump. And so I ended up closing on that in uh, November. Um, okay. And uh, it was a duplex, two bed, two bath, or sorry, two bed, one bath units. Um, each unit rented for about eleven hundred dollars. That that was the kind of estimate I went in with, which proved accurate. Um, when I bought it, it was vacant. So I ended up I I moved into one unit um, and fixed it. I moved into the little, the worst unit and fixed okay. put the last finishing touches on the other better unit and it took me, it still took me about three months to get there partially because I was a little lazy and could have gone, done a little better <laughs> but it took me about three months to get a tenant in there uh, and I, when I finally placed them that was a bit, that was a big day I had a, had a roommate in my unit uh, okay. In two I was earning eleven fifty because it was eleven hundred plus fifty fifty dollars in cat rent. For from the tenant next door, and then okay. five fifty um, for my roommate in my unit. So seventeen hundred dollars in rent. My mortgage payment was fifteen fifty, and so I'm eking out about one hundred and fifty on on a good month. I probably was closer to net break even, or maybe a little net negative, but that was a vast improvement over the five fifty six hundred I was paying in rent previously.
1: Yeah, because now now you're living free, and you have you know the the tax benefits you have. The uh, debt pay down and everything like that, so that that really puts you in a strong position. Um, how much did you pay for that for that property?
0: Sure, I paid two hundred and forty thousand dollars, and I put down twelve thousand dollars, five percent using an FHA loan.
1: Okay, okay, perfect. So, and now you're, let's just say you're at, you know, break even to a hundred hundred dollars a month cash flow. Um, what was next after that? First, first of all, before we get into that. Tell me about the vetting process of your uh, first tenant.
0: Sure. So I I read a uh, article on Bigger Pockets. Um, at that point, I had the advantage of being a employee there, so I found the article pretty easily, uh, written by my coworker Braden Turner, okay. and I just downloaded <laughs> a guide, like a guide to screening and vetting tenants. And um, I had a, a, a form that I downloaded. I had them sign it, and I made a bunch of I called their prior three landlords, ran the credit criminal background check. Uh, and placed a great pair of tenants um, in there, so it wasn't really that big of an issue from the tenant screening process because I followed a formula that seems to work for a lot of people. Um, the bigger issue was I just needed to get the place rent ready, and it was like it was like that that thing where like there's only like five percent of the work left to do, and you just don't get around to doing it. That's yeah. that's the killer in a lot of life and business things, and that that hurt me. I pro- I probably lost two thousand dollars, which is a big deal at that point. Yeah, life.
1: yeah. Um, so for,
0: for for not doing that, yeah.
1: Did you do all of the work yourself or did you have a contractor or handyman?
0: I had a contractor do a large plumbing project where a lot of the galvanized piping needed to be replaced. Those were kind of all okay. rusted out in the crawl space, but basically everything else I did myself, um, staining cabinets, painting, um, floorboards, uh, toilet, you know, all, this, all that good stuff, uh, vanity cabinets, those, those types of things I, I did.
1: So. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. So, you you have this duplex you're you're living for free you have your tenant um in one unit you have your roommate in another unit um you're working at bigger pockets and your mind what are you thinking next what what am i doing next what is scott trench thought process right there in that position
0: Well, you know, that year the the duplex was about four miles away from work. So I was able to to bike every day to work. Um, I was playing rugby. um, So it was kind of just like, Hey, I hit a milestone here. I've got a good career opportunity. I just need to buckle down, work hard, have fun and save up uh, and stockpile rebuild my, my cash stockpile here aggressively. So um, for the next 12, 15 months um, I, I biked into work every day, brought my lunch, packed my food, spent as little as possible, wrote a bunch of you know blog posts whenever Josh would let me um, and okay. uh, uh did my best to help bigger pockets grow um, and kind of just build things back up um, so okay. it was kind of an exciting grind period i think in that in that next period there from March two thousand and fifteen ish to you know June two thousand sixteen
1: so do you think that was your, your biggest financial risk or was it another risk that you've taken that you feel was your biggest risk?
0: Uh, I've taken bigger risks since then from a dollar standpoint, but rel- like, from a life position standpoint, that was the big set of risks. Changing that, the job and buying a duplex all at once, right? With when, when you're starting from basically scratch, that was, the, that was the no relative risks I've taken since then have been on the same scale.
1: Okay, so so what are you doing right now, Scott? As far as your real estate and real estate investing purchases and acquisitions, what are you working on? I know you have the duplex. Do you have anything else? What other uh, properties are you
0: holding? Sure. So I live in another house hack duplex right now. Um, I have a uh, so that's two duplexes. I have a quadplex. It's about a mile and a half from where I I currently live. Um, I have a stock portfolio. a big index fund investor um, with, with a big, large portion of my wealth, uh, in in addition to real estate. And then I also invest in a syndication in Phoenix.
1: Okay. All right. Perfect. So with the volatility in the market, how are you, uh, navigating or how are you holding on to those to your stock position? You know, are you a little leery? Are you thinking about exiting and putting that, deploying that capital somewhere else? Um, kind of what's your, what's your mindset with that?
0: Yeah. You know, the, the, my, my personal position is I have roughly the same amount of, uh, well, I, I had, I invest in real estate stocks, bigger pockets and cash. And I've invested, you know, probably reasonably similar amounts in those, in those areas. Um, uh, so I have a large cash position now, um, I'm, I'm working on, on, on reducing that by investing in other places, but to me, the, the point of this is to invest for the long term. And you know, like they, 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 if you go back to 2013, every year a multiple major media outlets produce a very convincing analysis about why a bubble is coming yep, in the next yep. 12 to 18 months. The next bubble is always 12 to 18, 18 months. months away. <laughs> it is always 12 to 18 months away. And here is a ridiculously compelling set of data, yield curve, you know, prices topping out, super re- metrics that have always predicted every previous crash are always, always being printed. And so one of these days, they're going to be right. Right, but if I don't invest for the long term, I feel like I'm gonna I'm slowly losing. Um, if I don't am not doing that, so I'm gonna continue to consistently invest in real estate, in stocks. Um, I'm gonna continue working hard here at Bigger Pockets, and I'm gonna continue to try to create assets and generally live a, a, a sound lifestyle. And I think that's a, a winning game um, in any any market conditions. It's effectively dollar cost averaging across these asset classes over time. So, if the market tanks, I will have liquidity to buy more. If the market goes up, I'm in the game, so I continue to win. And if the market stays flat, I'm producing cash flow and continuing to save and invest more. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, I, don't, I don't really care there, but I also have a, a, a situation that I think is relatively insulated from those things because of, of I, I hold some cash.
1: Yeah, and, and that's good. I mean, because you're, you're, you're diversified. So, you know, if one goes down, the other one normally will you know, pick up. So great positioning with that. So you're, you're at eight doors and then you have this syndication in Phoenix. Tell me about this syndication here in Phoenix. Cause as you know, I'm, I'm here in Phoenix. Um, what do you have going on? What, what major project are you looking
0: at here? Sure. So it's, it's an a, a apartment complex, uh, and it's uh, a larger deal. I trust the operator, the operator of this deal. And, and one of the things that, you know, I invest here in Denver for long-term appreciation and equity buildup. I think that over a 30-year period, I'm going to look back and experience a 3%, 4 5% long-term appreciation yield. Um, that's a speculation, but that's, that's something uh-huh. I believe about Denver. And, and perhaps a lot of Phoenix people believe that about Phoenix. Yep. And, you know, in, in, in Denver, in Phoenix, in a lot of these um, hot markets, you have low cap rates. When you have a low cap rate, you have a lot of operating leverage. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that I have a property uh, that produces $100,000 in income, right? At mm-hmm. a 10 cap, I'm buying that property for a million dollars. At a four cap, I'm buying it for $2.5 million, right? So yep. the, the investor's initial reaction to this is, I want to, I want to buy a 10 cap because 10 cap. I'm going to get way more cash flow. The but on the, on the flip side, if you believe that you can are a good operator and can rehab a lot of units very quickly, and drive up your operating income in a short period mm-hmm. of time, the you'd rather be in the market with the four percent cap rate. And Here's why. So suppose I suppose I take that income and I change it from 100 to 100 to 200,000. Right? I take it from 100 to 200,000. I, I have to spend a million dollars in order to drive that operating income. Right. Exactly. In case one, I buy the place for a million, I sink a million in and now it's worth 2 million. 2 million. Right. In case two, you know, I buy it for two and a half million. I sink a million in and now I have a property that's worth 5 million. So you see how that works? Yeah. Yep. Because the, the, the it's, it's multiplied by, you know, one over 0.04 one over 0.04. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, so, so that is kind of the thesis in there and you know, I'm sure that a lot of listeners will say, Oh, this is a speculation, speculation yeah. and they're a hundred percent. Right. Right. That, 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 that math, that investment goes belly up right away. If cap rates rise and you're not, and it, they go to 6% and properties, prices come down. Right. But you know, if, as I suspect they're going to stay relatively flat in, in the Phoenix market over the next three, four five years, and the operator is able to produce Increase that operating income. There's a good amount of leverage there. This is not something that I invest with with the majority of my my position, but it is I think one effective way to make money in an appreciating in, in a in a low cap rate environment with a, a good operator. You know, understanding that that is a risk and that this is not something that you can put the majority of your position into and feel and sleep soundly at, at night. But I do think there's a very good chance of earning a good return on on, on an investment like this. And I want to be a, a part of that and experience some of these other investments and, and experiment with those types of things. So that's why I chose to, to to make that investment in in that market. So I I know finding the operator is not always
1: easy and vetting that operator is not always easy. One without without spelling or giving away your secret sauce. How did you find your operator and how did you vet it? Uh,
0: I I I. Uh, known this guy for years and, uh, found him on bigger pockets, read a lot okay. of, uh, read a lot of stuff that he's produced. And, and I think that's, you know, that's a, as reasonable a way to go about it as, as anything else, right? Is, is get to know people, watch their Absolutely. track record, pay attention while you're buying your first couple of plot properties and uh, see who's, who's sticking around for four, five, six, seven, eight years talking about their, their commercial real estate investing. And you know, that's a person who, you know, maybe they'll lose, maybe they'll win but maybe your odds of uh, having somebody who gives up when times go when things get tough or, or flakes or whatever, uh, dramatically decline by of a formula like that.
1: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So um, have, have your stock portfolio, you have your passive income right now in Denver, you have your syndication here in Phoenix. Um, you work in bigger pockets. Tell us about set for life, man. Awesome book. Um, Tell our readers why. What was the inspiration of of writing Set for Life?
0: Yeah. So, so my personal career goal is I want to help as many people as I possibly can achieve financial independence as early in life as they as as they can. Um, and I believe that the long term impact of that is going to be massive on society. The more people we can help become financially free, this is I'm sure that this is a part of your mission as well. what, with, with this show you know, when you become financially free, especially the earlier, you know, earlier on in life, you have the, you have the potential, the potential increases, right? You're able to start a business. You're able to start a nonprofit. You may run for office, right? We dangle the, the carrot of you're going to drink margaritas on the beach and maybe you do for a day, but that you're really going to go and get to work, get and to change work. The world, likely in a positive way. So, you know, set for life is really geared towards someone in their early twenties. Um, you know, maybe thirties, uh, college students, high school students, but, but really that kind of like twenties ish, uh, person who is looking to as rapidly as possible move from a standing start to a position that is close, indistinguishable from financial freedom, right? Several hundred thousand dollars in net worth, several thousand dollars a month in passive income. You decide what financial freedom means to you once you get to that point. Absolutely. So the, 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 point of the book is like, okay, so for, you know, how do we get started you a median income earner with little to no assets? One, you focus on saving, right? You're gonna hear mm-hmm. a lot of parallels with my story, right? You focus on, on spending less. Why? Because you, you can't really change a median income dramatically overnight. You have to put yourself in a career that has the potential to scale. And you may not be able to do that if you're spending every penny. So the first part of the book is geared towards building, accumulating what I call financial runway, Um, And if you're able to accumulate a year of financial runway, let's say you spend 30 grand a year, if you have 30 grand in liquidity that you're willing and able to to access, then you have a year of runway and you're going to feel much better about taking that leap and joining a startup that has really big upside potential or buying a house hack or a real estate investment, a meaningful investment, not $1,000 in an index fund, right? You're going to feel good about making that, that bigger risk that has bigger upside with it. You know, and then from there, you know, the next phase is going from that one year of financial runway to four or five years of financial runway, you can call it $25,000, $30,000 to $100,000 in net worth that is tangible and real, not just home equity or retirement account wealth, but like real estate equity, right, cash, tangible. yeah, after tax, tradable brokerage accounts, again, that stuff that gives you real options in your 20s and 30s, that you can deploy to whatever purpose you want, if you, if you sell the opportunity. And for that, you know, that's when we talk about career opportunities, you know, sales or startups or entrepreneurship or whatever it is, you know, you know what your path is lined up for you if you're honest with yourself at a large corporation or in a traditional career track, right? The uncertainty that comes with leaving that offers tremendous upside, but you can only pursue it if you have that runway and spend less than you earn uh, and, and can feel comfortable about that. And then. The last phase is moving from that like 100,000 dollars-ish net worth, four or five years of runway, to several hundred thousand dollars. And this is where investing and entrepreneurship began to play increasingly important roles, um, because you know, once you have 250, 300, 400, 500,000 dollars to invest, earning a five, 10, 15 percent return is a really meaningful difference. There's a meaningful difference between those amounts. Um, Absolutely it's not as worthwhile to focus on like, Oh, I want to get a a 10% return on my thousand dollar investment. It is very meaningful to try to get a 10% return on a hundred thousand dollars. A thousand dollars a month ish is going to be a major influence on your uh, life decision-making if you can achieve that kind of passive income. So, um, that's kind of the the framework of the book. And, And the goal is again, help people make those transitions through those marks as rapidly as possible. So, you know, once you're there, let's call it $500,000 in net worth, $1,000, $2,000 in passive income a month, you're in position to go and attack life and, you know, realize your potential in a way that I think is uh, um, different than maybe peers who have not done that.
1: Well, it's, it's the book is definitely something that I am um, actually buying my daughter. She is a sophomore in college and we've really been driving home financial freedom with her and she's really now starting to pick up, you know, starting to bite that apple and chew on it real good. You know, she read Robert Kiyosaki's book, you know, rich dad, poor dad. So we've been planting those seeds in her and this is going to be actually the next book that I'm getting her for her to uh, dive into. She has that entrepreneurial spirit. So we just want to keep on, you know, steering her in the right way. So. Well, thank you. Scott, yes, yes, definitely, Scott, I know you're impacting communities um such as bigger pockets and set for life following and everything like that. um how do you think what you're doing is going to translate into you know some of the people that
0: are following um you, you know i i i hope you know I hope that people really just take the message to heart that you know, it's got to be one of those four things. You got to spend less, you got to earn more, you got to invest aggressively, or you have to create assets. And everybody is going to have a reason why it doesn't work to do those things. And if it doesn't work to do all those things, you're going to be stuck. And that's just the hard truth. Um, My focus has traditionally, the last five years has been on helping people really that are starting out, Um, younger people or people that are earning that median income with few to little little to no assets. Um, I'm really becoming interested in kind of expanding that and learning what the challenges are for a middle-class couple who each earn, you know, a middle upper middle-class couple who has a family and earns a, you know, low like hundred thousand dollars a year kind of situation. What are their challenges? Why is, why does spending, cutting back on spending, which seems to be the obvious Mm -hmm. solution here seems so impossible for them. Um, I suspect there's life lessons to be learned. um, as I get, I got, I recently got engaged and and we'll learn over the next couple of years. Um, yeah, you got some learning, (laughs) you got some learning that's going to happen. You know, those are the kinds of things that that I'm interested in. And and one of the big interesting challenges that I've got is I think, you know, we've got a pretty good approach. And I think if you listen to, you know, various podcasts, like *Bigger money, which we do or whatever, that you're going to find that there's a path to financial freedom for most people what i'm really interested in lately as well is is those people that are starting at the bottom how do you help them get into a position where they can get to the starting line of the race to financial independence and then progress past it you know how do you help someone who's you know uh, maybe made some mistakes in their in their life or yeah. or has busted credit or has been homeless um, how do you help them get to the the starting point which i think is a median income and once you're at a median income how do you then not fall into the middle-class trap, but rather skip that and skip go that. straight to building wealth and passive income and house hacking and real estate investing and those types of things.
1: And that's, that's one of the things that, that set people back is you know, starting out with massive student loan debt. Um, you know, A lot of people come out with 40, 50, 60, even $100,000 in student loan debt. And it's like, okay, how can I get to zero you know, so I can get on the right track. So I think you're definitely hitting home with something there because, you know, a lot of people in their, you know, thirties, forties are still dealing with student loan debt, you know, that they have just deferred and deferred and deferred. And now, you know, time has come for you to pay up and, you know, with life expenses, kids, families, you know, now they may have, like in my situation, have a kid that's in college, you know, how do they navigate that on $50,000 a year, you know, or a hundred thousand dollars, you know, between, between, you know, spouse. So definitely, uh, continue on that track, man. Um, make sure your fiance is on board, (laughs) you know, you'll definitely learn quickly, you know, that, you know, a happy wife, you know, is a happy life. So, um, You're doing some awesome things. I definitely wanted to get you on the show here, you know, just to, to really reiterate some of the things that I talk about with, with my listeners, you know, as far as how can you get to zero so you can start, you know, investing in real estate and investing in some other um, strategic um, positions. So kind of wrapping up here, Scott, let's go. Let's go and let's tie it all together, man. And let I got some hot seat questions for you. And let's see if you can get these out as quick as you can. So real quick, number one, starting out, what would you do differently than what you did in the past?
0: So uh, uh, this starts back in college. And, you know, a lot of life decisions, I think, are made when you uh, just kind of take what's in front of you without kind of considering all the other options and hustling a little bit more. And I, I, did, I only interviewed at one place. And then I took, and then I got, I did an internship there, and I took that job right out, right out of the gate. And I think that I could have had a much higher probability of having a great kickoff to my career uh, in, that, in that first year if I'd been a little bit more intentional about figuring out what I wanted to do and what a good opportunity looks like.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at at twenty twenty one, most people are in that position where they're they're just really not sure. Uh, but I think you're definitely headed in the right track. So. What is your greatest commodity outside of capital? What do you think is the greatest thing that pushes you forward outside of,
0: you know, having the liquidity? Uh, I'd say, I'd say knowledge and networking. I have a, uh, I, I do not have experience the way other people have, have it because I, I'm 29, right? So you know, I, I have read a large number of books to compensate as much as possible. There's no substitute for experience, but you know, the best I can do is to read and, and learn from as many people who have experience as I possibly can. So that has allowed me to approach situations from a position maybe not of experience, but of where I've come across this before in a book. And I kind of have some, a good mental model of how to approach the situation. And then I've met as many people as I possibly can and surrounded myself with great mentors, like our chairman of the board, um, Josh Dorkin, the founder of Bigger Pockets, and Brandon Turner and many of my colleagues here uh, who I had a chance to get to learn from and bounce ideas and thoughts and strategies off.
1: Okay, all right. As what, is, what is one thing you could do to be more productive?
0: Yeah, I, I had a really good track record of keeping a daily log where I have exactly what my, my top goal is and what I'm working towards that. And I have four or five years of perfect focus on that and then I kind of dropped off in the last six months and haven't been as diligent about it. So I've really recommitted recently to that, to, to having a daily journal where I write out my goals, decide what the top priority for the day is and do not stop until that top priority is done.
1: Okay, perfect, perfect. That, that goes back to being intentional. So uh, what drives your ambition,
0: Scott? Starting out, it was just the, the selfish desire to be financially free and, so, and, and completely independent. Um, I've kind of rounded that corner. And so now my big, my big ambition is that network effect I described earlier. How do I help as many people as possible become financially free as early in life as possible so that they can go on to have that kind of downstream impact uh, positively on society in that those kind of like untold myriad ways that they're going to do it?
1: Okay. And what do you believe is your greatest challenge, albeit internal or external? What's your biggest challenge?
0: Um, my, my, hmm. I had, a, I had some of it, but I'm not sure I like that one anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, think, I think my greatest challenge is now that I've kind of constructed a number of systems that appear to be working, um, I need to just kind of let them execute and find the next thing to kind of to kind of keep my, my attention turned to. I'm kind of like a million miles an hour type person. So okay. sometimes I meddle, I think, a little too much in something that's working and, and, and going. And the best thing to do is let it let it let it be patient. Yep. Let my let buy, buy real estate and wait, right? Is, is yeah. I say. That's difficult for me. So I think I kinda just need to let my systems execute and, and go and uh, put my attention on projects that that really do get benefit from my energies being focused on them.
1: And coincidentally, that's when I created this question that was one of the things that I faced. I'm always the type of person that, you know, I need to do this, need to do that, you know, and I'm kind of putting my hands in a, in a little bit of everything, you know, and, and dropping these little seeds everywhere to see it grow, you know, without focusing on the big picture. Um So man. Great. So a great
0: great example of that is like in the workplace, right? I got a great team here and they all are fantastic at what they're doing. And every time I try to meddle in something, I seem to make it worse. Worse. I'm like, Oh, you know, (laughs) I wouldn't have done it that way, but their way is better than mine. And so I, I I'm learning that like, that's been a big challenge that I've, I've, I'm trying to do a much increasingly better job on, on, on a regular basis.
1: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, what is the latest business book you've read?
0: All right, so this is a great book, it's called Super Thinking. It's a book of mental models. Uh, If if anyone's read anything by Charlie Munger, um, or Warren Warren Buffett, they talk about this concept of mental models. Um, A good example of this is that maybe you haven't heard of is the cobra effect. So I think when the British ruled uh, India, they wanted to eliminate or reduce the cobra population significantly. So they would cut off, they would pay a shilling for every tail that was submitted, right? Mm -hmm. And so what what happened was the local population began breeding cobras, Uh, so the population skyrocketed. Then they stopped paying it, because they realized what was going on, and all those cobras got released in the wild, and the population remained high for many years thereafter. So that's a mental model called the cobra effect, which says that if you incentivize a certain behavior, then you may end up not getting what you may end up getting the opposite of your intended effect. And this is a book of 150-ish of those types of mental models that you can kind of know, okay, here's the terminology behind what's going on. And then you can apply that to a wide variety of situations that may play to your advantage. So I highly recommend Super Thinking um, as, as, as a, a next read for many of the listeners.
1: Okay. Super Thinking. Super Thinking. Okay. And what is your, the latest real estate book you've read?
0: Uh, latest real estate book I've read is House Hacking by Craig Kurlop. So it's a Bigger Pockets book, which is a, a shameless yep. plug. But uh, <laughs> really, I think a very powerful tool as I've discussed earlier for for anyone aspiring to become a real estate investor.
1: And that book just dropped. What last week or two weeks ago?
0: Yeah, I think it's actually in pre order now, and we'll be launching in a couple of days here. So uh, I'm not okay, sure when good. this joke is live, but um,
1: perfect, perfect, perfect. I, I interviewed Craig. Uh, about two weeks ago and we were talking about the book so definitely gonna have that in the show notes along with super thinking and set for life so scott i really appreciate you talking to the listeners man how can we get in contact with you how can we reach you how can we get set for life
0: sure you can reach out to me on bigger pockets you can follow me on instagram at 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 scott underscore trench um or you can kind of check out the bigger pockets money show if you want to hear me. Uh, I talk more about money endlessly.
1: So, Well, you you and Mindy do an awesome job on that. So man, kudos to you guys on that. Uh, All of this information will definitely be in the show notes, guys. And family, I want to thank you for allowing Scott to speak with us. And I hope you gleaned some some valuable information from Scott. Uh, He is definitely an influencer in the real estate community and the personal finance communities. So Scott, before signing off, Anything you want to leave with our listeners?
0: No, uh, just good luck. And remember those four um, central tenants or pillars or whatever you want to call it of a financial independence. Spend less, earn more, invest aggressively, create assets. You got to do one, ideally a combination of them. All
1: right. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it, man. And I will definitely get this information out to you on the air date. All right, guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com. Also, youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.